Hello and welcome to the Sonic Cinema Podcast. My name is Brian Scuttle and thank you for joining me at www.sonic-cinema.com or at the YouTube Sonic Cinema Podcast page. I'm pleased to be joined today by a uh, friend and filmmaker, uh, Matthew Saliba. We dis- we talked about his work, we talked about uh, working at movie theaters and uh, just movies in general uh, last year. This year, he's uh, going to be joining me not only for uh, my uh, Class of 1999 series with a uh, with a bit of a Biff and uh, Deep Cut choice for that year, but we're also going to be discussing today uh, the legacy of uh, Godzilla, the uh, iconic Japanese kaiju monster whose uh, latest American uh, adaptation, Godzilla King of the Monsters, is going to be coming out in May. So uh, please welcome uh, to the podcast once again, Matthew Saliba. Thank you for joining me today. Oh, thank you for having me again. Um, I'm, I, I was actually kind of excited about the idea of talking with you about uh, Godzilla because I know you're a pretty big fan, and I mean, that's part of what excited me about the possibility of uh, talking about uh, the, the, uh, the movies and the, uh, the legacy on, on movies that uh, Godzilla has because he does uh, cast a pretty large shadow in uh, in movies. I think both in certainly in Jap- Japan, where he's a tremendous icon on par with any American film icon. But also, I I do think in terms of some of the things we've seen in American films over the past uh, cent- half century. Uh, since the original Godzilla came out in 1954, uh, I do think he's he's certainly had an impact on uh, American movies as well. How did you get? Uh, how did you become uh, such a fan of Godzilla? Well, uh, that's actually a pretty interesting story. Um, now I don't know if I I mentioned this the last time I was on the show. Uh, but long before I had any um, goal or intention of uh, any kind of career in film, uh, I actually wanted to be a, a paleontologist uh, because <laughs> because uh, I love dinosaurs. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, unfortunately, uh, none of these tapes still survive. But uh, I have it on pretty good authority from my family that uh, when I was young, uh, they would actually film me doing uh, really lengthy lectures about all the different kinds of dinosaurs there were, and I would have all these toys and do little plays with them. And then uh, I was also really into monsters at the time. And so when you really stop and think about it, Godzilla is a perfect combination of two of my biggest passions at the time mm-hmm. and, and still to this day. So in a nutshell, I would say that's probably how I got into it. Um, my earliest memories of uh, watching movies uh, are of watching Godzilla films. Uh, I think the very first uh, VHS tape I ever owned was a copy of uh, King Kong versus Godzilla. Uh, either that or Godzilla versus Megalon, because I also remember that at some point. And um, <clears throat> also, I mean, the oldest possession, I mean, forget about DVDs or um, anything like that, but the oldest possession I have is um, this. Uh, uh, maybe like a, a two or three foot uh, Godzilla toy. 
that uh, I have uh, uh, taken with me from uh, apartment to apartment and uh, across provinces when I moved. So, um, you know, uh, so, so yeah, I mean, as long as I've had a breath in my body, I don't think there's ever been a moment when and been a part of my life uh, one way or the other. As a matter of fact, I've known a Godzilla onesie. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, suffice it to say, I'm, uh, I'm definitely a kaiju enthusiast. What what is it about? Because I I mean I've I've watched uh, I know I know when I first started watching movies. I mean I've I've watched the original King Kong. I and I I watched uh, I I think the first Godzilla movie I had ever seen was actually the uh, awful um, Raymond Burr edit of uh, the original Godzilla that American audiences saw, which was called Godzilla King of the Monsters. Um, with Raymond Burr just shoehorned in as an American reporter following the events of the uh, uh, 1954 film. And uh, it admittedly, it wasn't until I, I haven't really, when, whenever I think of Godzilla, I, I just think of very cheesy guy in a suit uh, movies, uh, monster movies of destroying Tokyo and destroying and just really uh, really goofy uh, monster cinema. Um, what what is it about uh, what is it about those films? What okay, I guess I guess what I want to ask is what misconceptions of Godzilla movies do you think that maybe some audiences might have if they like never seen one before well uh you kind of hit it on the head just earlier um <clears throat> so by the time uh, godzilla films made their way to to north american shores um you were you were i mean obviously the the original 54 godzilla uh, the uncut Japanese version actually didn't make its way to North American shores until 2003. Mm -hmm. uh, as a matter of fact, the first time I saw that version was on a 35 millimeter print at the, uh, the Fantasia film festival here in, uh, in Montreal. Oh, wow. So, so, um, so it, it wasn't just, I mean, unless you were um, a really hardcore collector who would track down, you know, 14th generation Bolivian bootlegs of the original copy. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, like most people, you know, we grew up watching the uh, the badly dubbed uh, uh, versions where, you know, Raymond Burr was sort of strategically edited into the film, which it's, it's interesting because as a filmmaker, I, I as much as I think that's sacrilege, I also kind of appreciate, I appreciate it from an editing standpoint because in some cases they did a pretty decent job of making you think he's actually there. Yeah. Uh, well, again, I think the biggest misconception is that um, Godzilla is just uh, any sort of monster. You know, I, I think because people didn't grow up watching the 54 version in its original incarnation, mm -hmm. I think a lot of people miss uh, what the metaphor that Godzilla stood for. I mean, uh, yeah. I'm sure most people listening to this know the, the story, so I won't, I won't bore people with the details, but, I mean, obviously... Um, you know, Godzilla was Godzilla was inspired by uh, King Kong and, of course, the the beast from Twenty Thousand Fathoms, and of course, it's uh, Godzilla is a metaphor for you know the horrific attacks on uh, Hiroshima and mm -hmm. Nagasaki. 
And so by the and so when these films were brought over to American shores, uh, any sort of uh, criticism of the American government or the United States was edited out or dubbed over uh, to sort of um, to sort of make the films more um, more in line with the the sort of uh, science fiction films that were being released at the time. Right. So I think people grew up thinking that these films were sort of cheesy popcorn movies, which in some respects they are to to a certain extent. I mean, by the time you got around to Son of Godzilla, it's safe to say uh, any cha- any uh, any attempt that sort of philosophizing about the, the attacks of World War II have been long gone. Yeah. But I, I do think that uh, many people forget that Godzilla was a very serious mm-hmm. uh, art house film that deserves to be mentioned in the same breath as Akira Kurosawa's Seven Samurai, which mm-hmm. came out the same year. Yeah. Um, and but then again, imagine, um, imagine if you will, that let, let's say uh, I'm thinking about you know the 1990 uh, Batman films. Like imagine these films were originally released in another country, and when they finally made their way to American shores, the first one we would see would be Batman and Robin. Yeah, you know, uh, <laughs> you know what I mean. Like you know, obviously, yeah. if that's your experience with the Batman franchise, you would think, you know, what the hell is this? Um, so, I mean, keep in mind that by the time Godzilla films found their way to American shores, we were talking about like the eighth or ninth or tenth part of a 35 film series. So right. obviously getting, obviously if that's your first experience, you're going to think, oh, okay, well, this is just silly. Um, mm. But then again, also, I, I certainly don't want to discount the silliness too, because, you know, the camp and kitsch factor of these films is off is obviously something that's very appealing too, mm-hmm. um, because in many respects they also give you a little insight into Japanese culture. Uh, I think it's actually, if I'm not mistaken, I think it's Invasion of Astro Monster where uh, Zilla and Rodan are, are sent to Planet X to, to fight King Ghidorah. I think at some point Godzilla, uh, after the fight, Godzilla starts jumping in the air and he's doing the, a dance called the Chi, which was like a Japanese craze in 65. <laughs> so, you know, it's, it, it is. And, and, and that's been sort of memed and, and gypped uh, to death. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, but that's kind of interesting because it's it's cheesy by our standards, but it's, you know, uh, that was a very popular thing in Japan at the time. So, mm-hmm. um. But yeah, I, I think overall the biggest misconce- the biggest misconception is that um, it's just sort of popcorn entertainment without any real uh, substance beneath the, the surface. Yeah. And and again, I, I I would certainly every time I try to introduce people to Godzilla, I always try to. I, well, I mean, I always believe in if you're going to explore a series, you should try to do it in chronological order if possible. Uh, just to sort of see the the rise and and oftentimes fall of a franchise, mm-hmm. um, I would always try to start with the '54, uh, and if that's not available, then at least the ones from the classic era. Yeah. No, and I I definitely uh, I would I would definitely suggest people go see the uh, 1954 Shiro Honda uh, Godzilla as well. It is part of the Criterion Collection. I it's part of my collection. Uh, it when when I first saw that, um, and it was it was a good. It was a few years. I think it was a few years before the uh, Gareth Edwards uh, two thousand fourteen uh, film in the the American franchise uh, came out, and I when I first saw uh, Honda's the original one from 1954, I was just blown away by it. I, I was, 
and it's because of that metaphor that it represents a a trying to deal with the aftermath of Hiroshima and Nagasaki within the confines of this popular entertainment. And it's it's really striking the way that Honda does it. It's such a beautiful movie. It is it it is a movie comparable to the original King Kong in that respect. And uh in in the way that it deals with uh, the hubris of man, as well as wraps big metaphorical ideas into genre, and the way it uses that genre to tell the story is just fantastic. And I I love, and I feel that way. I when I was watching the uh, 1954 film again before uh, before recording this episode, I I still feel the exact same way. It's really it's really a fantastic uh, film to watch. And especially when you consider that the film was made really not too long after the events of World War II. I mean, we're, yeah. we're talking, I mean, by the time this film, if I'm not mistaken, I think the film was actually shot around 53 before it was eventually released in 54. So, I mean, when you really stop and think about it, it's, it's more or less within the same, uh, it, it's not even, it, it hadn't even been a decade right. since the event. And so, uh, because I recently, I, I don't know if you uh, had a chance to read it, but um, uh, I had a chance to read a, a biography written about uh, Ishiro Honda. Uh, it's, it's a wonderful book. It's got a foreword by uh, Martin Scorsese, uh, who turns out that he's a big uh, Godzilla fan. Uh, <laughs> um, and uh, reading, uh, reading the circumstances behind uh, the making of the film, and, and, and particularly in, uh, with Ishiro Honda, um, because... The Japanese uh, film system had a um, the studio system had a, a, a system where uh, if you were breaking in, you would start off as a third or a second assistant director, and then you would eventually work your way up. But uh, uh, Honda kept getting drafted uh, into into various uh, conflicts and wars at the time, mm-hmm. and uh, so by the time he got back to directing films again, uh, some of his peers, uh, including uh, Akira Kurosawa who uh, started after him had sort of graduated to being a full, full-on director. So uh, Ishiro Honda had quite a bit of a struggle before he even got around to doing something like Godzilla. So I'd really just, uh, just a filmmaker standpoint, I really appreciate the circumstances behind the making of the film. And uh, it's something pretty interesting, and this also, uh, go back to one of your original questions about why I like Godzilla. Um, what I especially admire about the original uh, Godzilla is what I tend to admire about uh, genre film as a whole. Uh, one of the great things about whether it's horror, sci-fi, fantasy, is that these are films that work on two different levels. Uh, on one hand, if you're just going in for the, the entertainment value, uh, you're going to find that and more. But uh, really good genre films uh, allow filmmakers and storytellers to address political and social issues without necessarily being obvious about it. Yeah. Because, you know what I mean? Because, like, on a surface level, uh, for someone on the outside looking in who never read a history book in their life would probably Godzilla. And and you could admire it on the same level that you would admire, you know, like the Beast from 20,000 Fathoms, for example. But if, for those of us who, who have studied history and know the story behind the making of the film and the story of that country as a whole, um, 
not only is it a very entertaining film, it's also a very enlightening film as well. Mm-hmm. And um, what's kind of interesting too is that uh, when you move into some of the other movies uh, that would follow the original Godzilla, um, uh, Ishiro Honda was uh, Ishiro Honda was very much a, a globalist in the sense that he really believed in the power of the global community coming together and uh, putting aside whatever pet differences they might have and uh, come together for the idea of fighting uh, a conflict that affects mankind as a whole. Hmm. And so it's very interesting in the sense that you would think that uh, with what happened after World War II, there would be this resentment towards the United States, that they would want nothing to do with the country after what they did to them. Yet Ishiro Honda seems to suggest that we should... um, maybe certainly not forget, but perhaps forgive and and move on, which is kind of something I wish contemporary filmmakers would take heed of, um, opposed to holding grudges. So that's, so that's very interesting because especially in films like King Kong versus Godzilla and Mothra. And once, you know, once all these other monsters were introduced, it was very interesting to see Japan and the United States working side by side in spite of what happened in the 40s. Yeah, and that's one of the things in the in the uh, handful of Godzilla movies that I've seen from the Japanese run of the uh, character. I I've definitely I've definitely seen those the way that it casts got they each film can sort of cast Godzilla in a completely different way, and you know sometimes he's sometimes he's a villain for lack of a better term. Sometimes he's a good guy saving. Protecting Japan from different um, some of these different monsters, and uh, that's that's one of the interesting things that I like in uh, what I've seen of the Godzilla franchise that uh, Toho has done over the years, and uh, it it does make me even, especially seeing as many as as like a few of them in succession, like I did in. Pre- like I tried to in preparation for this episode, I definitely uh, it it definitely wants me it definitely gets me interested in watching more and more of these. Oh yeah, and uh, I mean again, the great thing is uh, particularly with the uh, the classic era. Um, I think uh, I think Criterion acquired the rights for most of the classic Showa era Godzilla films, and uh, I, I know there was thought at some point of putting them out on blu-ray but i think they might be available on filmstruck that's i think that's their streaming channel that they have and yeah if you get a chance you should uh i mean uh, i mean i would argue you should watch all of them but i mean if yeah. you were uh but there are 35 films in the in the franchise so uh and you know there's only there's only so much time one can realistically spend watching movies right so I mean, uh, if, if you were to restrict yourself to perhaps only one era, I would definitely recommend the classic era. Mm-hmm. Uh, if for no other reason than to see the, the arc that Godzilla goes on, because, yeah, you're right. For the first, I would say, three or four films, he's definitely a villain um, to the point where he doesn't really get top billing. Um, honestly, I think up until... I, I think it's only Godzilla versus the Smog Monster, which was in the 70s, where he got top billing. Uh, so he was always sort of a villain for the, the early part. <clears throat> but I think it was in um, uh, Ghidorah, the three-headed monster, where, um, well, wrestling fans would uh, would recognize this terminology, but this is where he turned uh, babyface. Um, <laughs> and, and it's interesting because I, I'm just thinking about this right now, but 
uh, because in the in the film, uh, Godzilla and Rodan are are fighting as they're wont to do, um, and uh, and then a, a greater threat makes its presence known, and they put aside their differences to team up and and fight King Ghidorah. So that, in many respects, just confirming you know the global the theme of the global community that Honda is really interested in. Uh, that's actually a perfect uh, example. Um, yeah, you know, he's coming together in in light of uh, bigger uh, threats. Mm-hmm. But, uh, I was, but yeah. I, before before you go on, I do want to say, unfortunately, Filmstruck is no longer uh, no longer a streaming service. I do want to clarify that. Unfortunately, oh. Filmstruck went out of business. But I do know Criterion has another streaming service that they are getting up and running this spring. So, hey, well, I, I've really, yeah. uh, I'm really. <laughs> well, that, that's uh, all right. I mean, yeah, I it it happened it happened a few months ago. I can't remember when exactly, but yeah. Uh, and I I will say I if anybody has the Stars app, I know that there are some of the older uh, Godzilla films are on there, uh, or they have been on there. So that's that's some place to find them too. Oh yeah, definitely. Uh, yeah, I'm definitely been out of the loop. Uh, are the kids still watching Beta these days? <laughs> I I think that went out a long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but uh, but yeah. So I mean, if you do watch, like, there's 15 films in total for the the classic era from 1954 to, to 75. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, Godzilla definitely goes on a bit of a roller coaster as far as character goes. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, at some point we discover Godzilla has a son. Um, yes. We're not really sure how that happened, <laughs> but, but he just shows up all of a sudden. And um, and it's funny because I, I don't know if you've seen uh, Son of Godzilla. I have, but, actually. But, oh, okay. It's so been you, a okay. while, but I've seen Son of Godzilla, yes. Um, it, it's it's funny uh, because the uh, the way the film ends, um, spoiler alert for anyone listening to this, um, uh Basically, the the humans get away because they launch uh, a weather device that freezes the island. And uh, one of the uh, and this is actually a testament to because um, we didn't mention this, but uh, the actor who uh, played Godzilla for the longest time uh, was a gentleman by the name of uh, and forgive my pronunciation here. His name is uh, Haruo uh, Nakajima, and uh, he to to his. Uh, a testament to his ability as an actor because again you know as much as we've been talking about metaphors and symbolism at the end of the day this is these are guys in rubber suits yeah. fighting each other so you know let's call a spade a spade i mean <laughs> it, but but uh but two uh, and this shows you what a, a tremendous actor he is um there's a scene where when the the island starts freezing um Godzilla's son starts crying, and then Godzilla takes his son in, in his arms and he hugs him. And then the, the the camera sort of tilts up, and like you see snow gradually piling, mm. and they sort of hibernate together. And you know, at least for me, uh, for, for for personal reasons, I'd rather not get into. Uh, but um, for me, I just found that to be a very profound moment to the point where when I saw that for the first time, I actually got a little teary eyed. Mm. Uh, just because you know it was a very moving moment, and, uh, and 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 it's moments like that where you know I think get glossed over when people talk about Godzilla because yeah. again it get cheesy, but that was actually a very, very sweet moment that um, you know credit to everyone involved with that scene. Yeah, and and the thing is, it's like I when 
the more the more of the old the more of the Godzilla movies that you watch, I think yes, when you first hear, oh, it's just a guy in a suit, that sounds really cheesy, especially when you consider what you know what uh you know how King Kong moves as an animatronic uh, character in the original. And, but the fact of the matter is, the more Godzilla films that you watch from the Toho run, that expression, the the expressionism that comes through it being an actor in a suit is what is ultimately a big part of what the appeal of those movies are. And it's because oh, yeah. of the fact, it's, it's very much in the same way as why performance capture is capable of so much right now and why it's really a natural succession to makeup effects because of the fact that you have the the actor performing it. And yeah, and and, and that's a very good point because I think, again, a, a, a very big uh, part of the appeal of these films is the fact that, you know, what you're seeing is actually there. You know, it's yeah. not, not CG. It, it literally is someone in a suit. And not mm. only that, but a testament to um, you know the the way these films are shot because mm-hmm. obviously you're trying to create the impression that Godzilla is you know however story however however many stories high um, you know you've got to shoot him a certain way you wouldn't shoot Godzilla right. the same way you'd shoot a regular actor right. and uh, actually at this point I'd, I'd probably like to one thing we should I, I don't think you can really talk about Godzilla without talking about the uh, the man who, uh, well, the genius, really, who brought these visual effects to life. Um, and once again, boy, uh, I'm going to try to get the pronunciation right. Uh, his name's uh, Iji Tsuburaya. Uh, so he's uh, he's one of the grandmaster of visual effects, a man who deserves to be mentioned in the same breath as people like Willis O'Brien or Ray Harryhausen. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's the one who... Uh, did the special effects. And what was really interesting, and I found this out while reading the biography on Ishiro Honda, was that uh, while Ishiro, Ishiro Honda would direct all the things involving, uh, all the scenes involving the humans, like all the actors and such, yeah. and uh, Suburaya would direct everything involving Godzilla. And these would actually be, uh, I know that sounds like a practice that's done today, where you know sometimes the, the visual effects are off doing their own thing, but right. it, respects these were two separate films being filmed at the same time uh there would be some consults back and forth but uh, uh suburaya had complete autonomy over how he would want to shoot the mm-hmm. effects to the that uh sometimes ishiro honda would have to reshoot uh stuff with the human actors to correspond with what suburaya was doing with his work right so it's interesting because i almost feel like suburaya should get a co-director credit for a lot of this stuff mm-hmm. um just because you know, without the work that he did, this whole series wouldn't uh, wouldn't uh, have taken off really. Uh, and he would also, well, he kind of went on. I, I think um, if people don't know him by name, they they would certainly know his company, Suburaya Productions, because uh, probably the most famous thing that he ever did outside of Godzilla was the Ultraman series. Okay. Uh, so he did Ultra. Well, he started with uh, Ultra Q, which was kind of like uh, the best way to describe that would be the Twilight Zone meets Kaiju. Mm. So, it, so and that's a really interesting series. And then from there, you had Ultraman, and then Ultra Seven, and I mean the plethora of Ultraman <laughs> series that would come out after that. It would basically be sort of like Ultraman was kind of like a giant Power Ranger who would fight, you know, the ki- the monster of the week, 
pretty much. Yeah. And um, and that was a really fun series. So that's that's probably what he's best known for outside of Godzilla. Um, so so yeah, I think he deserves quite a lot of credit too for the success of that series. Yeah, and I I yeah it in just talking about it, just in thinking about sort of my my own experiences with the franchise, it does make me want to just sort of dig in more and more into some of the older films, and it's like it makes me want to watch. You know, when you were talking about the uh, the the embrace of Godzilla and Son of Godzilla late, you know, earlier, it's like it makes me want to rewatch that movie again to sort of see what you see what you're talking about because it's been a number of years since I've seen that. Um, I mean, I think this is this is one of those things where, and it occurred to me, I think it occurred to me in watching uh, at least uh, the original Ishiro Honda movie again and watching as much as I really, I, I think the, I think the 2014 movie that Gareth Edwards made and I, you know, that the sequel King of the Monsters is coming out with and is coming out for in May. I think it's a solid film. I, I think it's a solid adventure film for what it is. Well, um, it's funny because I have a bit of a fun story about that uh, 2014 Godzilla film. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so um, that was the 2014 was the year I, I moved to Toronto from uh, Montreal, and so one of the very first things I got invited out to in Toronto was the the Toronto premiere of that of Godzilla. A friend of mine uh, invited me, and uh, unbeknownst to me, that uh, Gareth uh, Edwards was actually there to do an intro and a Q and A. Oh wow. And, so and it was interesting because when we were watching the movie, uh, he was sitting a couple rows behind uh, my buddy and I. And um, by the time we got around to the Q and A, um, I don't think he 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 was <laughs> he was none too fond of me <laughs> because I kind of made my opinions about that film pretty clear. Um, uh, I guess we can start talking about that a bit then. Um, so, you know, uh, first off, uh, for the record, I do think. If nothing else, I think the 2014 film uh, was successful in uh, eliminating the memory that or nightmares that people were having about the 98 Godzilla, that right. Roland Emmerich. Right. So I, <laughs> I'll acknowledge that much. Um, but uh, I, I didn't really care for the 2014 Godzilla film for, for a few reasons. Uh, one, um, now... I'm not going to complain about the lack of screen time for Godzilla because one of the things that uh, I think everyone seems to forget is that when you do watch uh, the original 54 Godzilla or any Godzilla film for that matter, even a film like Destroy All Monsters, which at the time featured every kaiju ever made, (laughs) uh, three quarters of the time of the screen time is devoted to humans. Yeah. Uh, because that's, you know, at the end of the day, you know, this isn't a quest for fire where nobody speaks English. Well, actually, none of the characters speak English. <laughs> or, right. you know, they don't know right. the characters speak You know what I mean? Like, it's like you do need human beings for, uh, audiences need, you know, to see themselves reflected on the big screen to be able to uh, relate to what's happening. Yeah. So so I, I never really minded the, the, the lack of screen time for Godzilla. Um, that That's fine. Uh, my only problem is that the... They killed off all the interesting characters within the first <laughs> act of the movie. You know what I mean? Like yeah. You had, yeah. You had Brian Cranston, 
you know, at the peak of his career, uh, you know, just coming off Breaking Bad and whatnot. Yeah. Uh, you know, and especially with the way the film had been promoted in the mm-hmm. trailers, it certainly made it seem like it was going to be Walter White versus Godzilla. Yeah. Um, you know, for lack of a better word, but um, so so right off the bat, they they killed him, and I and I think they also killed off the Juliette Binoche character too. With yeah, that first she act. she dies in the very first scenes. So yeah. Yeah. So, uh, the so, and then what we're left with are, you know, and, and to, you know, they, they certainly gave it a go. They tried to make it as uh, empathetic or sympathetic as possible, but yeah, you know, the characters weren't terribly interesting. Mm-hmm. So, and, and that's a problem, uh, when three quarters of your film is devoted to being who, you know, audiences are having a hard time feeling any sort of emotion for. Yeah. I, so I certainly feel like that was uh, a mark against the movie. Uh, I also felt that the uh, the Muto, I think that's what they were called, the Muto, the creatures. Yes. Uh, they weren't the sort of best choice for a villain. I wouldn't have gone with them. Uh, if anything, they kind of reminded me of um, uh, the uh, Godzilla film uh, from, I think, 2000. Uh, Godzilla's Mega Gearus. Uh, they kind of reminded me because they were sort of insect-like. Hmm. And... Uh, that's not one of the more fondly uh, remembered films. So, uh, you know, when, when you consider the rogues gallery of monsters that they could have gone with, yeah. um, you know, that wasn't, it, it was a, you know, it was an interesting choice, you know, mm-hmm. uh, interesting, the Hollywood sense of the word. Yeah. Um, but uh, I, I think the biggest thing <clears throat> for me, and this was also my issue with the, um, <clears throat> the 98 film is that, um, it was written, the, the film seemed to be done in a way that where it seemed to assume that audiences knew who Godzilla was. Mm-hmm. You know what? Like, like there was a little bit in the prologue explaining how Godzilla came about. Right. But that, like, this wasn't uh, an origin story. Right. And as tedious as origin stories, and this is something I've noticed that's happening, you know, it, um, <laughs> This is something that seems to be happening in the Marvel universe too, where you know when they introduced Spider-Man, he didn't really have an origin film, or yeah. when or Black Widow or any of the other characters. And you know the thing is, maybe I'm in the minority on this one, but <clears throat> as tedious as origin stories can be, I honestly feel that if you're establishing a new timeline. Uh, a new universe with a character, however familiar that character may be, uh, you know, I don't know. Um, I don't know the origin of this particular incarnation of Godzilla. Right. Um, you know, like that, or you know, again, like, um, and a good example of because uh, some people feel that you know, for these iconic characters like Superman, Spider Man, Batman, yeah, you know, you do the origin story. But I would disagree, and a good example of how you can do an origin story right would be Batman Begins. Mm-hmm. I, there's a film that, and I would argue, as much as everyone loves The Dark Knight, I still think Batman Begins is the best of that trilogy because not only did it break all the rules about origin films, it added something new to the Batman canon because you know uh, I've read a lot of Batman comics and I don't ever seem to recall that origin story being told in the comics. Right. Uh, to the point where that has become like Batman Begins has now become canon in that universe. Yeah. So I, so I feel that you know for this, especially since this was the kickoff to the whole um, 
monster uh, the the is it the tri- no it's the monster verse you know with Kong and yeah. all the they're doing yeah I thought it was really imperative to establish mm. who this was especially when you consider that to the average uh, Joe Pinchpenny who doesn't follow the Toho films you know they, they probably still think of the '98 Godzilla so you know some, yeah. some people might well you know wow boy Godzilla put on weight between '98 and 2014 <laughs> what what happened. Yeah. So, and, and, and also, and, and I'm glad you brought this up because I was actually prepared to talk about, you know, uh, if I was making my own Godzilla film, how would I do it differently? But see, you mentioned, like, you were talking earlier about, you know, one of the biggest misconceptions that people have of Godzilla, that he, it's just this cheesy uh, popcorn entertainment. <clears throat> and I feel like the 2014 film didn't really do anything to change that, you know, yeah. because it didn't establish who Godzilla was people just sort of look at him in the same vein that they would look at any sort of atomic age monster right. that it doesn't for anything. And I thought that they missed an opportunity to really reinvent Godzilla for American audiences, mm-hmm. because I feel like one of the reasons why Godzilla maybe isn't taken as seriously as he's taken in Japan is because, you know, obviously when Japanese audiences see Godzilla, they remember, you know, the horrors of world war two, yeah. whereas American audiences just see this giant monster. And I felt that, you know, they missed a big opportunity. And at the risk, I mean, this might sound like a bit of a cliche idea, but they really, like, especially in the States, you know, in light of what happened uh, on September 11th, I mean, mm-hmm. they missed they missed a golden opportunity to turn Godzilla into a metaphor for uh, for what happened on 9-11. Right. See, if, if, I was, if I was directing that 2014 Godzilla, what I would have done is have a prologue, you know, showcasing what happened on September 11th. And then my story would revolve around the idea of trying to fight terrorism. And, you know, there would be, there would be, um, uh, obviously the plot with the war, but also there would be a subplot where scientists discover the serum that can turn, um, that they, that they said that if they inject it into, uh, or cells that it can turn into this, huge destructive force that can help fight the war on terror oh. without sacrificing human lives. Okay. But so they would create in fact a Godzilla. And so, uh, but then, you know, much like how, you know, the Patriot Act and things like that might've been launched with good intentions. Yeah. Inevitably those things came back to bite them on the ass. Yeah. And so this would be like, so, you know, maybe Godzilla would initially be a force for good, but you know, much like, you know, again, the thing with the Patriot Act, Godzilla would turn mm-hmm. on the United States and and so on and so forth. So that would be a way to sort of, you know, create a Godzilla that American audiences could um, identify as a uniquely American phenomenon. And, yeah, and then that that I, I will say, and I mean, I, I I sort of agree. I do agree with you about the 2014 film. And that's one of the things that I was getting at when I brought it up was the fact that it's like. It's, I, I, and your idea right there is really interesting. And I, and I think that's one of the things that as, as much as I like the 2014 film, as much as I'm interested in what they do in the follow-up this year, I don't think, like, like you said, like they're really, the 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 people making these movies are just looking at them as monster movies. They're not adding anything of real depth to them in terms of how do we connect with 
how do we connect Godzilla to our experience, much in the same way that Ishiro Honda did in the original Godzilla? And that is abso- that's exactly what it was going for. And <laughs> yeah. the fact that that's why ultimately anything American does, American audiences do, unless somebody really decides, okay, I'm going to go all out here and does something really personal with it. Yeah, uh, and also, just as an aside, uh, if anyone from Legendary Pictures is listening to this, uh, that I uh, patent pending. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, uh, no, um, so, so that was sort of my issue, that, again, um, um, there wasn't any attempt to sort of uh, Americanize it. Yeah. Um, which, it, which is kind of ironic, because, you know, a lot of the criticism that uh, Hollywood gets when they remake foreign movies is that they take away the the sense of identity from those respective countries to try to, to try and um, excuse me try to make them uh, relatable for Americans. So it's interesting right. that uh, it seems like they're they're almost trying to respect the fact that Godzilla is a Japanese creation. Mm-hmm. But I think you know if you are going to establish a universe where much of the action takes place in America i i almost think you need to americanize godzilla in a way and that would have been a perfect opportunity to sort of tie it into that because then you know with godzilla king of the monsters uh you you know you could continue that metaphor you know cuz now i think in that film they're bringing mothra rodan and king ghidorah well you know if america created godzilla to fight the war on terror then Maybe Iran created King Ghidorah right. and China got Mothra and Russia has Rodan. You know, I mean, these might seem like obvious bits of symbolism, but, you know, it's mm-hmm. a way to add a more uh, sizzle to the stake, as it were. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, and I mean, that... Man, now I'm not sure how much I'm looking forward to King of the Monsters after this discussion because I, I mean, well, you're we're really no. I mean, I still want to see it, but no. The fact of the matter is, it's like the the ideas that you have here are just very much. Uh, I mean, it's 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 fascinating just how it it really points to just how almost uninspired any American adaptation of. Uh, Godzilla, even no matter how good it is, how how solid it can be as an adventure film, how uninspired it is in terms of, you know, doing something more like uh, Honda did in the original film. I mean, we can discuss the 1998 uh, Roland Emmerich Godzilla. I think they're significant, you know, I, I think, especially, especially uh, when I think you mentioned... <coughs> You mentioned something about on Facebook a while back about how sort of Toho sort of took back the that ridiculous iguana looking uh Oh yes, Godzilla yes. <laughs> as part of their monster legacy and that just blew my mind because it's like, okay, good on you, Toho. Good good on you. Yeah, there it was um it was in the um uh, it was in well, actually, uh, um, just just so people uh, uh, might have a better idea here. So, because um, like I said, there, there's 35 uh, Godzilla films in the Toho era. Now, um, the Toho era. Um, now, well, actually, even before I get into that, I, I wanted to say um, there for those who are really interested in sort of exploring the history, of the classic films. 
Uh, there are three great sites that could probably do a far better job than I can of talking about this. There's a Topo Kingdom, uh, Gojipedia, and Wikizilla. So these are three great sites that will go into detail. So what I'm about to say is kind of a thumbnail. Uh, yeah. Purposes of the podcast. But um, <clears throat> so when most people talk about Godzilla, you know, when you see commercials like that classic, uh, you know, Father's Day Godzilla song, uh, the Godzilla ad, you know, where it says it takes a man to be a dad. <laughs> I don't know if you, but uh, it's, I'm sure it's aired on in America. Um, you know, most people are talking about the, uh, what's called the Showa era of Godzilla. So, uh, and because um, there's the there's the Showa era that's 54 to 75. Then there's the uh, the Heisei era, which is from 1984 to 1995. Then there's the Millennium era, which is from 1999 to 2004. And then there's the post Millennium era, which began with uh, Shin Godzilla, and it mm. includes the Netflix animated Godzilla films. So. Um, so just so people understand when I'm jumping from era to era. So um, as far as that 98 Godzilla reference goes, um, it was in a movie that came out in the Millennium Era called uh, Godzilla, Mothra, King Ghidorah, Giant Monsters, All Out Attack, which just rolls off the tip of your tongue. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And uh, that film was directed by uh, Shisuke Kaneko, who did the uh, the Gamera trilogy from the 90s. Mm-hmm. And so the, the scene... Uh, uh, there's a scene at the beginning of the film where they talk about there's rumors that Godzilla is back. And there's a scene where um, there's these two students talking to each other and they say, and one student says, oh, I heard there was an attack by a similar creature. Uh, I heard there was a ta- an attack in New York in 1998 by Godzilla. And then the other student says, oh, uh, yeah, I heard about that too, but I think it's a similar type creature creature uh, that uh, Americans seem to call Godzilla, but it's not actually. Godzilla, and then, and that, and then Godzilla, the, the iguana there, he he actually showed up in Godzilla: Final Wars in mm-hmm. uh, two thousand four, and uh, it's basically where Godzilla is fighting the entire rogues gallery of villains that he's facing. <laughs> I think the fight literally lasts twenty seconds, where Godzilla just blows him away, fire, yeah. and that was the end of that. But it's interesting. So I guess technically. I guess technically you could argue that 98 film is part of the Toho continuity because he right. does make an appearance. So, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that's, there was actually, um, uh, I, I'm just thinking about this now cause I know you're a really big fan of his. So I, I don't know if you've ever seen this, but <clears throat> there's, um, there's a film in, in 91, uh, Godzilla versus King Ghidorah. Uh, this is from the Heisei era. And uh, there's a, it, and if you haven't seen it, I would really recommend it. It's actually really one of the better ones to come out of the 90s, uh, if for no other reason that it actually explains Godzilla's origin uh, from the prehistoric era. So um, <clears throat> there's a scene where there's these two uh, drill sergeants, and uh, there's a, a UFO that passes by, and one of the sergeants turns to the other and he says, uh, oh, you know, I ju- we just saw I just saw a UFO, and then uh, his superior says, "Are you telling me you had a close encounter of the third kind?" <laughs> oh, and then the guy says, uh, and, and he says, "You know, I, I, if between you and me, I keep that to yourself. Tell it to your son when you get home, Sergeant Spielberg." <laughs> With the idea, being, of course, you know that's yeah. where he got the yeah. from. So that's um, so yeah. I don't know how we got off <laughs> how we got on there, but uh, but yeah, just. Yeah, no, there's funny little moments like that where they make little references. Right. No, and it's yeah, and uh when you when you brought up the uh when you brought up, you know, the 
in going back to the 2014 film a little bit and the fact that it doesn't really explain Godzilla. I mean, I, I do think, you know, you have the that opening newsreel sort of opening credits in uh in that film that I guess is sort of the shorthand of, oh, here here's the quick cliff notes of how Godzilla came into being. Uh Set to a and, pretty and, fantastic Alexander Desplat score, actually. I think that score for that film is phenomenal. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, and that's something we didn't talk about with the classic films. But, yeah, that, that, that was definitely one of the highlights of the 2014 film, for sure. Yeah. Uh, I really loved that. And it definitely gave the film a sense of drama that it might have been lacking from a script standpoint. Yeah. But, but see, but then again, see... Uh, that that whole prologue thing that, that that almost feels like the kind of thing you would throw on a second or third film to remind people. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. Remember what happened in the first film, like for a film that, especially since that was the film that, because it is that film, right? It's because I know some people consider Kong Skull Island the official kickoff, but I I think the 2014 is supposed to be the yeah. Kickoff. The 2014 I think is supposed to be the original, the first one of that. Yeah. Yeah, and so. Why it was just um, it was a little. I mean, aside from it being disappointing, it was just a little surprising that you know they would um, they wouldn't devote the film. In fact, if anything, I mean, like I would have just kept it to Godzilla himself just to establish who he is. Because again, as tedious as the origin stories can be, I, I really need to strongly believe that if you're kicking off a universe, yeah. you need to tell the story, and you shouldn't assume that everyone knows who Godzilla is. But see, then again, see that's something I'm starting to notice about universe-driven films in general. Um, yeah. I mean, that's kind of the reasons why um, I sort of tuned out of the, the Marvel universe after a while, because it seemed like for some of the superheroes, they just assumed that people knew the story and didn't bother trying to establish who these people were. Right. Um, but, you know, at the same time, uh, to avoid coming off as a, as a quote-unquote uh, old man yelling at a cloud, um, <laughs> I, I, I do want to state for the record that you know, for me, as much as Godzilla will always be um, a uniquely, pardon me, a uniquely Japanese thing, I don't begrudge today's generation for enjoying, you know, the MonsterVerse films or you know yeah. the MCU or anything like that. Like, you know, if I was in the peak of when I was really into things like this, or if I was growing up uh, and this was my first experience to Godzilla, I mean, I would be. When you really stop and think about it, uh, in our generation, uh, as far as uh, Japanese Godzilla films go, there have really only been three theatrical releases. There was, you know, Godzilla '85, Godzilla '2000, and then Shin Godzilla from 2016. Yeah. You know, to, uh, you know, uh, these kids these days, uh, you know, they're getting, you know, Godzilla films every year. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so I mean, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm very happy for them, and if. And if these films help uh, the younger generations discover the classic film, then all the better. You know, I, I really don't have any problem with that. It's just, you know, um, I mean, I recently turned 37, so um, I, I've I've uh, I've accepted the fact that I'm no longer part of the uh, the demographic that these uh, <laughs> students cater to anymore. Yeah. So, so I do want to. Pr- I, I would like to say that you know I do think it's great mm-hmm. that these films made I, I just you know I'm, i just wish there was a little more substance there but you know no, uh, they seem absolutely to... right about that and and you know it, it's funny because of the fact that you know i i 
after I rewatched the 2014 film, I did watch the 1998 uh, Roland Emmerich film, and it's funny they both they both open with the same type of newsreel introduction. <laughs> they do, don't they? Oh yeah, they you know. Do. They do. <laughs> now, uh, now, granted, I I do think while it does have its issues, I do think the 2014 film is a considerably better film than. Roland Emmerich's film. Roland Emmerich's film oh. is atrocious. Oh yeah. Well, see, that's the thing. I mean, the the one the one thing about the 2014 film that I will give it credit is that, you know, at least they gave Godzilla uh, it gave Godzilla a sense of gravitas yeah. that hadn't been seen until uh, since like the original Godzilla film, I would say. Whereas the 98 film, you know, with a lot of mugging for the camera. I mean, you know, that was probably a lot to do with Roland Emmerich's inept direction. But uh, that, like that film, people kind of felt like you know they you could you could tell that a lot of people were sort of slumming it in the well, sense that well, and and I I think it doesn't help that Roland Emmerich I I guess was sort of on record around at the time because this this was something I saw on IMDb when I was looking at the trivia is that he's not a Godzilla fan, and it's like I well, think they just gave him that movie because he had just come off of Independence Day. Yep, that's right. And um like you can tell that he's not a Godzilla fan because he doesn't take the movie seriously at all. I mean, you know, the the thing is, one of the things that struck me about that film is like with the exception of maybe Jean Renault, there's really like every major character in that movie is played by an actor primarily known for comedy. <laughs> That's right, because Matthew, yeah, like, Matthew Broderick's like the, the star of the film, which yeah. always struck me as a bit of an odd choice. I mean, not a knock against him as an actor, but... Oh, no, he's going to be a fantastic actor, but it's like, <laughs> really? It, and it didn't occur to me until it was like, wow, like so many of these people are better known for comedy. What are they doing in this? Yeah. <laughs> You know, the the one thing that I kind of got a kick out of um, in that film, if, if I remember correctly, was that uh, the mayor wasn't, it was Mayor Ebert, right? Yeah, like, basically the mayor and like his deputy were basically parodies of Siskel and Ebert. Yeah, that's what I, I that's the thing I think I remember the most. Yeah. <laughs> from those two characters, yeah. And, yeah. And because they get squashed by Godzilla at some point. So. Yeah, basically. Yeah, that's probably... <laughs> Um, but yeah, but I, I remember growing up during the whole, that whole advertising campaign. I mean, mm. if nothing, the triumph in advertising, how they really had people's anticipation built up to, uh, to a fever pitch. Yeah. Um, they, you never, they never showed Godzilla at all, which of course, in retrospect, I, I think we all know why, <laughs> because <laughs> I don't think it would have had the box office that it would have had if they had revealed them beforehand. Right. But, uh. I remember the campaign for that and seeing the bus ads and everything. And, uh, you know, yeah. we were all really excited about that one. Mm -hmm. Well, when you mentioned, and you had mentioned uh, Godzilla 2000, I actually did see that one in theaters. Um, yep. And it, it's, you know, it's, it's goofy and it's, but it's actually, I, I recently, because I actually bought on Blu-ray and it's got both the, American cut that I saw in theaters, as well as the Japanese cut, which is about ten minutes longer. Mm -hmm. and it's like it really the Japanese the 
like it's it's amazing what I mean they're both fundamentally the same film but it's like it's amazing how much more the Japanese film like just how much more weight the Japanese film has even if it's just a matter of you know 10 extra minutes I mean it's still goofy it's still strange like that that villain is the sentient rock that's basically the spaceship and that is it's it's still crazy to think about that but like well what I remember the most about because I remember seeing Godzilla 2000 in the theaters um and uh I, it was the obviously the English dub I think what I remember the most about that were uh, two lines that you could tell they weren't in the Japanese script, but they obviously threw them in the American one. Uh, there's a there's a line I think where the uh, the army is in uh, they're in a war room and they start arguing, and then one of the guys says, "Hey, you can't fight in here. This is the war room," which is <laughs> they took a line from Doctor Strange. Yeah, and uh, and then of course the the infamous line that I think um, I think a lot of diehards remember. Uh, they're talking about how they can defeat Godzilla, and they've got this special missile. Yeah, and it said, and one person says, you know, this missile will go through Godzilla like, like crap through. through goose. That is a line <laughs> that has never left my memory since I saw it in two thousand. I, yeah. I I laughed my ass off during that movie <laughs> at that moment, yeah, that was, and yeah, that... <laughs> and if you watch the but... Japanese dub, so. That so that second line is is sort of kind of in there, but it's like it, obviously you need the you need the ridiculous Eng- English dub for it to be really hilarious. Oh um, yeah, I mean that that that's definitely makes the uh, but yeah the that joke. yeah that line that line never left my memory after seeing that movie in theaters. It's yeah. like it was <laughs> it was so I I just laughed my ass off during that. It's like yeah yeah no no that. I remember, yeah, there's, because uh, some of these films, um, <clears throat> I mean, fortunately, we're living in a time where a lot of these films are being released uncut with the Japanese uh, language track, but yeah. some of the from the, the 90, uh, unfortunately, the only versions that seem to be available for the moment are the English dubs, mm-hmm. and um, as much as I prefer the Japanese version to the English dub, there's one English dub track that if you haven't had a chance to watch it, I would highly recommend it because I am, but and I'm so conflicted because on one hand, the film itself is, is really tremendous and probably one of the best ones to come out of this era. But the English dub does the film such a disservice. Uh, it's almost a work of art just to show, just to watch how dubbing can completely destroy a movie. Uh, it's just it's uh, and it's uh, it's Godzilla versus Mechagodzilla two from nineteen ninety three. Mm. I think I think you could find it on Blu ray. Actually, it's it's not out of print. Uh, it, again, it's just the the voices that they the, the and again I'm just I'm always very curious about how they go about casting voices for yeah. actors because one the the voices are completely mismatched. Um, you you really should just watch it for yourself. It's just it's 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 really spectacular to watch because mm-hmm. uh, I, I I still want to try to find a Japanese version one day because you could tell like if you if you go if you try to see beyond the dubbing like you could tell there's a really good film there. Right. But uh, the, it, it's almost like they're dubbing a different movie. It's nothing to do with what's happening yeah. on the screen. That would be that would be sort of my my big hope if uh, especially if Criterion has the rights to. Uh, 
the the Toho movies, it would be it would be great to have um to because I know for the Ishiro Honda Godzilla for their criterion for the Criterion release, they have both the original Japanese cut as well as Godzilla King of the Monsters, the Raymond Burr cut. And, uh, you know, just being able to have both of those, you know, in in the same thing. I, I would like to hope that that would be a side effect of, uh, you know, someplace, somebody like Criterion having having the uh, rights to something like that, that they would put, make both versions available. That would be fantastic. Well, the, uh, because I, I have, um, I've got the complete uh, Japanese collection on DVD, uh, like all the classic, the 29 films, uh, not including the other ones, but the animes. Um, and I know uh, before they were released on Criterion, there was a company called Classic Media, which released all the, uh, the, the original run of Godzilla films, all the mm-hmm. Shiro and they actually do have the, the Japanese and the American versions. And, and I do want to say as much as we've been having some fun at the sense of the, the American versions, uh, you're right in the sense that it, 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 it would be good to keep them if nothing else as a time capsule to show the difference between like what happens when a film is bought by, you know, an American exploitation distributor and how yeah. they try to, you know, because again, it's 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 a, it's a wonderful, almost like a little mini film school on how to edit and reappropriate footage to fit a certain agenda, and um, because in many respects, some of these films take on different uh, different meanings altogether. And one of the things too is, uh, and this is going to sound uh, sacrilege, but uh, for the film King Kong versus Godzilla, I actually prefer the U.S. version to the Japanese version because. Um, now, some of that might be nostalgia because I grew up watching that version, and mm-hmm. um, um, and the way it differs from the Japanese one is that the uh, the U.S. version uh, they rescored the film using tracks from the Universal Library, so they used tracks from Creature from the Black Lagoon, okay. and um, they also have uh, the film. The story is often interrupted by these uh, scenes uh, with the uh, talking heads, uh, where they're talking about you know the history, like of uh, Godzilla and Kong, and you know it's very um, you know it's almost like education films from the forties and fifties, stilted delivery. Yeah. Um, but but you know that's the version I and again maybe that's because that's the first Godzilla film I ever owned. I I'll always have a certain affinity for that version. Yeah. Uh, when I watched the uh, the Japanese version, uh, it was an entirely different experience, and I actually found myself enjoying it as much because I was quite surprised when Kong and Godzilla eventually have their big fight at the end. The American version really their their choice of really amplified the drama and excitement whereas in the Japanese version that there were a number of moments in that climatic uh, fight scene where there wasn't any score at all which mm. kind of took away from the movie but uh, but I'm sure I'm in the minority on that one I'm sure, I'm sure most people would hang me for <laughs> for suggesting that the American version was better but um, but that that's a rare example of how I kind of prefer yeah. that one um, also uh, another uh, I mean uh, by that same token, um, a film like Godzilla in 1985, which for the longest time was only available with the Raymond Burr inserted scenes because Raymond Burr comes back uh, in this film. 
And uh, that's you right. Know, I forgot the, about that. <laughs> yeah, but uh, you know how in uh, Godzilla: King of the Monsters, his character's name was Steve Martin. Yes. Uh, in Godzilla 1985, he's just referred to as Mr. Martin for obvious reasons. Yeah. Because by that, <laughs> Steve Martin was Steve Martin. Yeah. Um, but I, but um, so again, the U.S. version is another version that I have quite a bit of fondness for, just because it was the one I remember renting from my local video store. Mm-hmm. And uh, also, I'll never forget all the uh, the blatant Dr. Pepper uh, product placement. Uh, that, where <laughs> it's it's pretty notorious because they don't mm-hmm. really try fact that that film sponsored the american dub um but then i finally watched the japanese version and again it's an entirely different experience and while i do prefer the japanese version ultimately i still do kind of like the u.s version right and it's and it's kind of a shame because the um the dvd that i have of godzilla in 1985 they didn't include the english um cut mm. which is shame because i do feel like that was a fun take on the movie and it seems like it's uh, lost to the ages now yeah yeah i don't think i i don't think i've ever seen godzilla 1985 but yeah i do remember raymond burr coming back for remember reading or hearing that raymond burr came back for that for that one mm-hmm. um yeah, I mean, I I think, and one of the things that I I think, especially if if you have access to like American versions versus uh, you know, the Japanese versions and stuff like that. I mean, it's sort of the same way with anime, and especially like with Miyazaki, where it's like, especially with animation, it's like I can see if if you wanted to show somebody something like. Kiki's Delivery Service or Princess Monoki or Spirited Away to try to get them into Miyazaki, but they're not really into foreign films. You have really, you know, you have the American dub versions uh, that can sort of usher them into those films to where, you know, maybe on their own, they start to watch them with the subtitles and stuff like that and get into a little bit more of world cinema. And I, I think that's one of the things that's really... I, I think that sort of would be an interesting uh, after effect of something like of having the Godzilla movies be the way they are and uh, be available in the way they are, where it's like you could introduce people. People could sort of get into world cinema and foreign films in a way that they may not necessarily do otherwise. You know that's that's a fantastic example, and I'm actually really glad you brought that up about uh, but about anime because uh, yes, uh, I think for a lot of people who are getting into anime, um, most people would probably start off with the English dubs, um, and in the case of the Miyazaki films, uh, that's that's an example of um, you know while people might not like dubbing as a general rule. Um, the dubbing, I think, for those films are t- is taken a lot more seriously than dubbing for the old Godzilla films was, yeah. in the sense that had established actors who get top billing in the movie. And in <laughs> fact, I would some people uh, go out of their way to seek the English dubs of those films just because it's almost like watching a different version of the film altogether because you yeah. have these well-known and, and good actors, too. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I know, like, for example... Um, uh, I grew up watching uh, Dragon Ball, and uh, you know, as much as 
and, and I find myself drawn more to the English dub than the original Japanese version just because that's what I grew up uh, listening to. So I, I recognize the voices and I have uh, a lot of nostalgic value attributed to the voices. Right. And uh, I mean, again, like I, I think, you know, if they do and if Criterion ends up re-releasing all these films on Blu-ray, it might be in their best interest to include both versions. Uh, if for no other reason than to help uh, introduce people to these to these Japanese films that, or uh, introduce you know uh, people who would otherwise not seek out uh, these kinds of movies. Yeah, and I, and I suspect that they would. I mean, especially a company like Criterion, you, you know, they're they're usually really thorough with their releases, so I wouldn't be surprised that mm-hmm. they would include versions. Oh yeah, absolutely. And I mean that that's one of the reasons why I would like to now. I mean, with everything going to streaming now, I mean that that gets a little bit more problematic, unfortunately. And it's like, it's one of the, and I think that's, but I think something like what Criterion does with so many of its releases, whether you're talking about Godzilla, whether you're talking about uh, Tarkovsky films or uh, Bergman films or Truffaut and the way that he, they patch it, package all of those um, with multiple versions of multiple different cuts of them. And I just being able to, have all of those resources available to it. That's 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 important to what physical media can seem can do over streaming. I think. I mean, streaming is cheaper for the company, obviously, for a lot of reasons. But at the same time, as far as production, but it's like you know, I I still you know I still want would like to have access to you know all of these different versions of these films yeah that's that's something that seems to be getting lost uh, as we transition from physical media to streaming because yeah you're right with the, i mean one of the things i um i miss about physical media are things like audio commentary because you don't really get those with streaming services yeah. you know they'll use just include uh the basic version of the film depending on what streaming service you use um but uh but yeah, because I, I mean, as I've made, uh, as I've documented pretty well on my social media, uh, I mean, I've, for one circumstance or another, I've had to sell off parts of my collection here and there. And, uh, you know, some of those situations have been heartbreaking. Others, not so much because films are available on Netflix or Amazon Prime. But, you know, sometimes if I rewatch, um, let's say, a film like Clerks on, uh, on a stream, uh, I find myself wishing I still had the DVD because the DVD had, you know, Kevin Smith's yeah. wonderful commentary, which in many respects is as entertaining to watch, if not more so than the film itself. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, I mean, that, that does to be something that's lost in the process. Um, I don't know if it's a question of bandwidth or if they would have to charge a premium service, but it would be good if they included um, the extras that were would otherwise have been put on a, a Blu-ray <laughs> or DVD. Yeah. No, absolutely. Um, see. Uh, oh. See, trying to see, trying to think if I had anything else I wanted to say on the uh, on the topic of Godzilla and any of the films in particular. I'm not sure that I do. Uh, did Did you have anything more that you wanted to talk about? 
Well, well, I mean, uh, again, when it comes to Godzilla, we could do a Joe Rogan style podcast where I could talk for hours <laughs> about this. Um, but uh, I will uh, maybe I could throw out some recommendations for people uh, who um, who might want to seek out some of these films. Yeah. So um, again, we've been talking a lot about uh, the, the classic era, but. Uh, they were making Godzilla films <clears throat> in the nineties, as well as the early part of the, uh, the 21st century. And so some interesting films that people might want to seek out. Uh, one of them is, uh, actually just came out in 2016, uh, called the uh, Shin Godzilla. It was directed by, uh, the two, uh, creators behind the whole neon Genesis Evangelion, uh, anime series. Okay. Uh, this is actually a really interesting film because, <clears throat> So uh, this might I, I might need to backtrack a little bit. So as I mentioned earlier, like Godzilla is broken up into different eras. Uh, uh, what characterizes each era is that uh, it'll start off with a film that completely ignores everything that came before it, except for the original film. Yeah. So it. Uh, but what's interesting about Shin Godzilla is that. Uh, I hesitate to call it a remake because it's not. It doesn't really remake the '54 film in as much as it just completely ignores it altogether and creates a new type of Godzilla uh, yeah. in its own uh, distinct universe. Um, and uh, and it's. I find it the film. It's a little on the long side. I mean, it is two hours, and as much as I love Godzilla, I, there's no reason for a Godzilla film to be more than 90 minutes. Yeah. But, so it is. Long, but it's a brilliant satire of government bureaucracy. So, because um, I, I think the film was meant to be sort of a metaphor for, for how the government, the Japanese government, reacted to the events in Fukushima. Okay. Uh, and so, basically, the when Godzilla makes his presence known, uh, there's this montage where uh, the government is having meetings about setting future meetings to discuss how to deal with Godzilla. So. You know, there'll be a meeting and they'll be like, okay, let's break off into a smaller meeting. And then they have the smaller <laughs> meeting. We need to have another meeting about what's the best way to defeat Godzilla. And then they have that meeting and then there's another meeting. So it's really funny. I mean, my only criticism of that would be uh, it's almost too preoccupied with the satire element to the point where yeah. sometimes where you could t- you could take you could theoretically have taken Godzilla out of that film and replaced it with any sort of natural disaster. But uh, but I but I think it's worth checking out because it's really <laughs> really the only Godzilla film that kind of captures a bit of the spirit of the '54 film in that it it ties Godzilla to a real life natural disaster, and it's you know in many respects a scathing criticism of how government should be a little more streamlined, especially when disaster strikes. You know we shouldn't have meeting after meeting to discuss how to deal with that. Right. That so that's worth checking out. Uh, also, I mean, it's worth checking out it for no other reason than, I mean, there was originally supposed to be a sequel plan, but they've sort of abandoned that, and they've talked about doing their own version of a Marvel universe where it's going to be more of a throwback to the classic era where you're having all these monsters fighting each other. So it's really uh, a unique, excuse me, a, a unique uh, take on Godzilla. Yeah. Also, uh, so there's that. Um from the, the Millennium Era, the 99 to 2004 era, I would definitely recommend checking out um, Godzilla, Mothra, and King Ghidorah, Giant Monsters, All Out Attack. Uh, it's directed by Shusuke Kaneko, who did the Gamera films from the 90s. Okay. Uh, it's, um, it's, a, it's a wonder. It's, it's, Godzilla is once again the villain 
And it's interesting because this version of Godzilla seems to be, um, they talk about one of the reasons why Godzilla is so, is a and impervious to pain is because Godzilla is uh, said to be possessed by the victims of the uh, Hiroshima and Nagasaki attacks. Uh, hmm. So he, it's, he's basically comprised of uh, the ghosts of everyone who lost their lives. And so, so that's kind of interesting. And, and it's also uh, King Ghidorah for the first time is portrayed as a, as a villain. <laughs> uh, not, as, a, as a hero, he's one of the good guys that fights Godzilla. So that's a really interesting dynamic. And... Um, also, the film, by the time you get to the end, there's a scene where um, they salute the, the heroes like Mothra, King Ghidorah, and uh, Baragon, who defeat Godzilla. And it's pretty emotional. You actually genuinely care for these creatures. You a really job making you feel for them the same way you would feel for any sort of human character. Mm-hmm. So that's something worth checking out. Um, and also, uh, uh, we didn't get a chance to mention this one. This is from the classic era. There's Godzilla versus the Smog Monster, uh, directed by uh, Yoshimitsu Bano. Uh, and uh, this is a film that you either love or hate it. Um, I really enjoyed it for no other reason than it's really different uh, to the point where it almost has a, a David Lynchian quality to it. That's probably mm. the first time I've ever mentioned David Lynch and Godzilla in the same sentence. <laughs> but so... Um, so that one's really worth checking out. Uh, there's animation in that movie. And also, it's probably the closest thing we're, we're ever going to get to seeing Godzilla versus Gamera. Because at some point, uh, um, the smog monster kind of turns into a Gamera-type creature where he's got rocket jets flying around. And um, so that's that makes for a fun visual. Huh. Uh, and other, um, so yeah, I mean, other than that... Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's a wonderful series, the longest-running franchise of any series that I can think of, and um, it's it's a lot of fun. I mean, yeah. I, I think part of the um, part of the appeal of the fifty, especially of the fifty-four Godzilla film, is that whether you're a fan of Hollywood films, whether you're whether you're the the snootiest of art film fans. Uh, everyone would have to agree at the very least that the original film has merit and deserves to be sort of mentioned alongside, you know, some of the great classics film history. And uh, I think if you go in with an open mind and uh, you'll be very surprised, there's lots of, uh, lots of treasures. to (laughs) dig. Yeah. And that's in, I, like I said, I mean, that's, it's, it's definitely a, uh, it's definitely a franchise I plan on uh, trying to dig into more, and um, it's 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 one that is the the one the the movies I have seen of it I've enjoyed even if they're kind of delve really into the ridiculous, but I think there's also that's part of what makes them fun is just how ridiculous it can be to to watch those but yeah like you said the Ashiro Honda film is is one of the greatest films of all time I think I think you you can make a legitimate case for it, and uh it it was a landmark for in much the same way that the original King Kong was and so I I think uh and even more so be based on uh the narrative heft that Honda brings to that film 
Um, but yeah, I mean, there, there's, those are a lot of good suggestions there, and I'm definitely looking forward to our uh, discussion on uh, Gamera, Gamera Three: Revenge of Virus, which uh, debuted at the Toronto Film Festival. I think you, I think in 1999. So we, are, that is why it's getting included in the Class of '99 series. And uh, I'm definitely looking forward to that talk. To oh yeah, this discussion. Oh that, yeah, that's going to be a lot of fun too. Yeah. Well, uh, Matthew, thank you very much for uh, joining me today as we uh, discuss uh, Godzilla, the history of Godzilla, um, the history of Godzilla in American films, and sort of how that is uh, how that has uh, evolved over the years. This was. A lot of fun to have. Oh, yeah. Thank you so much for having me on. Uh, I'll never turn down an opportunity to talk about Godzilla. <laughs> I'd like to thank Matthew for uh, joining me today. Uh, we're going to have another discussion coming up on uh, the 1999 film Gamera 3 Revenge of Iris for the class of 1999 series. Uh, so be on the lookout for that podcast, too. Uh, join me at sonic-cinema.com in uh, early April. We're going to be covering the Atlanta Film Festival uh, from April 4th through April 14th. I'm really looking forward to that opportunity. There's going to be uh, plenty of reviews and hopefully some interviews on Sonic Cinema for that. Also, check out uh, patreon.com backslash Sonic Cinema for more with that as well as extra content. Uh, for patrons, and also the Sonic Cinema YouTube channel, where the podcast as well as quick takes uh, will be uh, housed. For now, this is Brian Scuttle, and thank you very much for joining me. <laughs>